like you to take up your Bibles or your bulletin, whatever's handy first, and we're going to be reading uh, from Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Grace be to you, and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God, and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, our brother Dean will now bring us this morning's message, Jesus at the Bar. Good morning, everybody. We will proceed this morning with a subject of Jesus at the Bar, meaning the legal bar. The great controversy is coming to a close. The great climax of Earth's history is an exciting time to be living in. The forces of evil and the forces of good are in a final battle. Everyone living will be involved. There's no escape. You will either stand with Jesus and his government of righteousness, or you, you will stand with the evil one, Satan himself. There is no middle ground. This morning, this subject really stems from the verses in Revelation 14 we know as the three angels' messages. That's a study uh, I love to delve into and study further, the three angels' messages. There's a little phrase there of seven words in verse 7 that I think is very, very interesting. I'd always thought that this little phrase referred to the fact that God will be judging us. But an evangelist friend of mine pointed out one day in a sermon that really got my attention. It could be the reverse. Let me read these seven words to you. Yes. Revelation 14. The three angels' messages, 6 to 12. These seven words. The hour of his judgment is come. I had always thought that that would refer to the fact that God is judging us. The preacher friend of mine pointed out that it could be the reverse, that God himself is on trial. And so that puts a whole other dimension to these words. The hour of his judgment is come. So this morning, let us talk a little bit about Jesus being at the bar of justice. Once a person meets Jesus, one is never quite the same again. You must either accept him and his plan to save you, or you will reject him and side with evil. For those who say, I cannot make a decision, that does not work well, because no decision is a decision rejecting the Lord and Savior. God's plan is to save people. He wants no one to be lost for eternity. God is in the saving business. Our scriptures tell us that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 18.23 there are three scriptures that tell us this same theme in different words. The first one we've just read, Ezekiel 18.23, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The next one is that God's good pleasure is to give us the kingdom. That's in Luke 12.32. Then we have the beautiful life-saving words in John 
3.17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Three scriptures that tell us the dynamics of salvation. Many other verses in both the Old and New Testament tell us similar messages that God wants us where he is. He wants to save us. He is on our side in this struggle in the great controversy. With this background, I would like today to bring you this subject of Jesus at the bar. The God-man who was and is Jehovah, the great I Am, the Lord, the Messiah, the King of the ages. And Jesus who walked on our earth. The universe is looking on at the great controversy as it unfolds and comes to an end. Both sides are marshalling their forces. We will bring witnesses to answer this question. What think ye of this Jesus who claimed to be the Son of Man and the Son of God? Either he was insane and a charlatan, or he was who he claimed to be, the Son of Man and the Son of God. You know, it's interesting as we study this subject, Jesus seemed to always refer to himself as the Son of Man, thus identifying himself closely with us. Other people, his disciples and others, would refer to him as the Son of God, but he himself referred to himself as the Son of Man. So we're going to call witnesses to the stand in this court scene today and ask what they say about this Jesus. We will first call witnesses to the chair, we will call the first man who ever lived, and that would be Adam. Adam, you who lived on this earth for 930 years, according to Genesis 5.5, when did you first know of a promised Redeemer to come? Adam replies, I was in the Garden of Eden, and I heard Jesus calling me, for you know that often happened there in the Garden. And he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. That is when I first knew that my sin that I had committed could be forgiven. And that one day in the future, the Messiah would come to save me and my family and the generations after me. Abraham Please come and take the stand. Abraham, you talked with God on a number of occasions and heard his voice. Abraham replies, For I looked all about me. I could see mankind's evil. Somehow I kept the flame burning, and I knew that in the future there would be a coming Redeemer to save mankind. I looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 1, 8-10. I knew that the Messiah would come one day. Jeremiah, please take the stand. Jeremiah comes forward. What do you have to say about God you knew and the Savior to come? Jeremiah answers, well, I was in prison much of my life, but I still trusted God and I was rewarded by God who spoke to me as I recorded in my journal, Jeremiah 33, 1-3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time while he was shut up in the court of prisons, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you knowest not. When I heard those words from God, I was no longer discouraged. I rejoiced even though I was still in prison. 
I also prophesied that the Messiah would come of the branch of David and would be the Lord our righteousness. From my journal, chapter 23, verse 6, there is no room for our righteousness here as the Lord is our righteousness. We next asked Job to come to the stand, a person who went through crisis after crisis as recorded in his book, who at one point lost everything of earthly value. Job, you were a man who revered God. How did you survive your trials? Well, I knew that a Messiah would come one day to save us all. This truth had been passed down to me from previous generations, and I believed it with all my heart. In spite of what happened to me, I wrote these words in my journal, chapter 19, after being inspired to write it, for I knew that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand on the latter day upon the earth. Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold. We next call Isaiah to the stand. Isaiah, you've written much about the coming Messiah. You also at one time saw the Lord. What do you have to say? Well, I recorded my thoughts, and they seemed to me to be inspired. In chapter 6 of my journal, I wrote these words. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a high throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the whole temple. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. After this, I was a changed man. I was given under inspiration information I could prophesy about, that of a coming Messiah, the Savior, such as in chapter 7 of my journal. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In chapter 8 I wrote these words, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I prophesied not only the Messiah would come, but that he would die to save all of us on Calvary. I wrote these amazing words, I, even I, the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior, Isaiah 43. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, Isaiah 49. David, you will be called next. Jesus is on trial here, David. Please give your testimony and take the stand. I wrote many inspired things about my Lord, said David. Through all my trials, I understood that a Messiah would come. I prophesied he would be born in Bethlehem. I knew a Messiah would die up for us on Golgotha's hill. I knew that at the end of time, people must take sides for good or for evil. I knew that God wants everyone to be in his kingdom, so I wrote these words under inspiration. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Psalms 85. Everyone who presented when presented with the cross of Christ, must make a decision. The cross is where our sins are washed away 
and the believer has a vision of eternity to come because mercy and truth are met together and righteousness and peace have kissed each other. John the Baptist, please take the stand. Give us your testimony about this man who claims to be God. The Baptist replies, Well, I was out in the wilderness area of Judea preaching my heart out. And Matthew 3 records this event. I was having success and many were being baptized and repenting. I was by the Jordan one day and I saw a man coming towards me. I immediately knew that something was different about him. I was inspired to realize that this was the Messiah in front of me. He asked for me to baptize him. I said, oh no, Lord, no, I have need to be baptized of you. But he said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then a most amazing thing happened. Matthew records all of this in his journal, chapter 3. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I saw this and heard this. I was never the same again. I knew that this was the Messiah who had been prophesied of and looked for since Adam had walked on this earth. The day after this I saw him again, and I said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Next we call the wise men. Those men had traveled 1,500 miles from modern-day Iran to come to Bethlehem. The wise men from the Middle East who came for his birth. What is your testimony, sirs? They replied, We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Nathaniel, please take the stand. What is your testimony? When he called me and he said, Behold, thou art the Son of God, as recorded in John 1.49. Apostle John, we call you to the stand. Tell us of your testimony. In the beginning, writes John, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1 and 14. We call the Samaritan woman to the stand. Next, please tell us your testimony. I met this Jesus at Jacob's well, and he told me everything I had ever done. I said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And later I told my townspeople, Friends, is not this the Christ? Next, we call the disciples after that stormy night on Galilee. After Jesus had saved them, they cried out, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark 4.41 Next, we call the officers of the temple police. What do you say of this man who claims to be Jesus? They replied, Never man spake like this man. From John 7. Next we call Pilate's wife to the stand. What do you say, madam? 
Well, I had a dream about him, and I told my husband, have nothing to do with this just man. From Matthew twenty-seven, nineteen. Next we call a disciple named Judas. What do you say, Judas? Judas blurted out, I have betrayed innocent blood. Luke twenty-three, fourteen. We next ask the eternal God, the, the eternal Father, at the time of the transfiguration of Jesus, when he stood between Moses and Elijah, as recorded in Matthew 17, while he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. We move to Golgotha's hill next and approach the three crosses. As we come nearer, we see the thief on the right and we ask him, Sir, sir, you on the cross beside the man in the middle, what do you say? The thief said these words, This man hath done nothing amiss. Luke 23. Next, we will ask the Roman centurion down below at the foot of the cross, please take the stand, sir. This soldier has seen many men die on a cross. He has witnessed the vilest of the vile. What do you say, sir, about this man in the middle cross? His answer is recorded in Matthew 27. This was the Son of God. We ask his disciple Thomas next to take the stand. Thomas, what do you say? After you doubted him, his answer is recorded in John 20. My Lord and my God. Next, Caiaphas, you are required to take the stand. What do you say? You must answer the question, Caiaphas. What think ye of Jesus? He said, I realize that it was either Jesus or me. I made a decision that better one man should die for the people than the whole nation perish. What more do you have to say, Caiaphas? Well, while Jesus was standing there, I tore my robes because he said, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. From Matthew 26. Caiaphas I have some bad news for you. The scriptures tell us that those who had a part in the death of Jesus will be resurrected in a special resurrection to see him coming in the clouds that you spoke about. You will be among them, Caiaphas. You will be raised to see him coming. You will then realize with horror that you are lost for eternity. Pilate, please take the stand. What do you say, Pilate? I find no fault in this man, said Pilate. Pilate, we have bad news for you also. You will qualify for that special resurrection. You will be resurrected to see him coming in the clouds of heaven. You also will realize that you have come up in the wrong resurrection. And you are assured that you will be lost for eternity. 
Let us ask the angels at the garden tomb on resurrection morning, what do you have to say? They replied, he is risen as he said. Matthew 28, 6. As Jesus rose from the tomb that morning, he declared, I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. The scriptures are a record of truth through the ages that tell us of Jesus and his plan of salvation. How much do we treasure our Bible? Do we open it every day? Do we wash our minds with its truths? We call one further witness to the sand, a small girl named Mary. Tell us, Mary, what do you say about the scriptures and about Jesus? Many of you may have heard this story before, but it bears repeating at this moment and at this time. The year was 1792. Mary was just nine years old. She could not read. Worse, her parents could not read. There was no school in their community. Mary went to church every week and heard the minister read stories from the Bible. She even went to prayer meeting and she heard people read from the Bible. More than anything in the world, she wanted to be able to read from her own Bible. She wanted to read for herself. She pleaded with her father, please help me read. He sadly replied, I can't read either. My dear Mary, I'm so sorry. She prayed fervently that the Lord will help her to learn how to read. One day her father came home with the news that they were um, opening a school near their home. Oh, Daddy, you mean I can go to school and I can learn to read? The answer came, yes, my child, yes. Her father told her, but you will have to walk, and it is a two-hour walk to school. She answered, oh, Daddy, is that all, just two hours? <laughs> oh, I'll do it, she said. So she walked for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon, every school day. But she learned to read quite quickly. Learning to read was just half the dream. The other half was to be able to read her Bible, her own Bible. She went to her daddy and said, I have another dream. I want to read my own Bible. No one in that town had a Bible and no one could even afford one. The father said, we are poor weavers. We cannot afford a Bible. Many people can work their whole life and cannot afford even to buy a Bible. Next, she heard about a neighbor about two miles away who had a Bible. The neighbor offered to let little Mary read their Bible every weekend if she could walk to their house. Two miles, she said. Is that all? She went every weekend. And this just made her more determined to have her own Bible. She said to her daddy again, I must have my own Bible. He said, honey, we cannot afford it. Mary responded with, I'm going to do it. I will work whatever I can do. She started collecting firewood. She did babysitting. She raised chickens and sold the eggs. She took in sewing and other things. Her father did not want to break her heart, so he did not say anything to discourage her. But that little girl saved her money month after month. And after six years, one night she and her father opened her bank he had made her a little wooden bank with a strong paper in the bottom. And the day had finally come when they were going to count the money to see if she had enough to buy her own Bible. So they opened the little bank and they counted and there was enough to buy a Bible. But there was still a problem. 
Mary spoke the Welsh language. There were not any Welsh Bibles anywhere that they knew of. The British Tract Society decided that they were not going to print any more Welsh Bibles, and they were very, very scarce. One day at school, she noticed that her teacher had a brand new Welsh Bible. She said, Teacher, where did you get that Bible? The teacher said, There is a man by the name of Thomas Charles, a preacher, and he has some at home, at his home for sale. He lives in a distant village. How far away is it, she asked. The teacher responded, Well, he lives 25 miles away. Mary responded with, Only 25 miles away? I'm going to go there and buy a Bible. The next morning she was up early clutching her bag of money, waiting for her father to get up so she could tell him goodbye. She started out and walked and walked and walked. Finally, she came to the village and stopped at the first house. And she came to and said to the one at the door, Please, sir, will you please tell me where I can find Pastor Thomas Charles? I must see him right now. He said, oh, it is much too late to find him now, but stay with us tonight, and we will take you to him tomorrow morning. The next morning, she finally entered the home of Pastor Charles. She entered the parlor, and the little girl said, oh, sir, I'm here to buy a Bible in the Welsh language. He said, how could you possibly have money for a Welsh Bible? You could not afford one. Oh, yes, she said. I can, sir. And she poured out her money on the table. And he said, where did you get all that money? Well, sir, she said, for six years, I've sold eggs. I gathered firewood. I watched the neighbor's children. I've taken in sewing. I have done everything to buy a Bible. Please, sir, would you sell me a Bible? He was quiet for a moment, and then he said, Isn't this something? A child whose heart burns to know God and wants a Bible above everything else. And I do not have a single Bible left, not one. And they are planning, and they are not planning to print anymore in the Welsh language. The girl sat down in the chair, and the words fell on her ears like painful, clapping thunder. She began to cry, uncontrollably crying. As Pastor Charles watched the girl, he could not stand it. He went over to her, put his hand on her head and said, These words, as I live and breathe, you will leave here with a Bible. I do have one Welsh Bible here, and it has already been sold, but the man whom I'm holding it for can speak English. And he can get an English one. So I will give this one to you. So in the year 1798, this small girl walked home alone the 25 miles with her Bible. She continued reading that same Bible all her life until well into her 80s. Her Bible, that very Bible she bought that day, has been preserved And it is today under the glass in a museum in England. Mary did not understand what she had unleashed that day. Shortly after this, Pastor Charles went to a meeting with the Religious Tract Society. And he told the story of little Mary. And the most amazing experience that he had had with her. 
and that she had saved for six years to buy the Bible. So he said to the assembled religious people, I propose that we start a new society for the printing of Bibles. They are certainly, there are certainly more Marys that want Bibles. From this, they started the first Bible society. A Baptist pastor stood up and said, this is the most exciting story I've ever heard in my life. We must start printing Bibles in the Welsh language. And from this, their horizon, the horizon widened. And eventually, they had a worldwide Bible society. It started from the Welsh people, from Britain, and then the whole world. At that time, 1798, the Bible was available in 67 languages. Today it is available in more than 2,233 languages and dialects. In the first hundred years of its existence, the Bible Society printed one million Bibles. God has a timetable to finish his work. He will use some of the most unlikely people to do it. He will use anyone or any event that he chooses in his own time. We will recall one more witness to our testimonies today. We call the Apostle John back to the stand. John, you have written many things about Jesus. What are the most outstanding words that you've ever written? John replies in my journal chapter 20, verse 31, I wrote these words. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. These words sum up the gospel and the way to salvation. But I would not leave you with my words. I would like to leave you with the words from Jesus, John writes. I heard him say these words one day, and I recorded this in my journal, chapter 17, verse 1 and onward. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that the son may also glorify thee. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 317 is our closing song. King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be.
eternal God and Father of us all. Today we thank you for the words of Scripture that point us to you, to the salvation, and eventually to the new kingdom, the heavenly land where we all desire to go. Help us, Lord, each day to not lose the benefit of opening our Bible. So many people have lost their lives because of this Bible in the past history of this earth. Lord, help us to treasure it. Look into it each day to find words of life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life and invites us to come unto him. May that be our experience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.